There we go. I reach down to the gear shift, and I now shift gears. I'm not thinking about cords anymore. (laughs) I'm thinking about the fact that today, believe it or not, we're wrapping up the revelation. Now, what is that cheering for? (laughs) That's how I'm feeling, but but why would you be (laughs) cheering today? It's been quite a journey, hey? Eight months. Eight months. Eight months. <laughs> Through the revelation. And Jesus has been pulling back the curtain. That's what apocalypse means. Pulling back the curtain on himself to show us who is really present in our world, in our circumstances, when times are difficult, when it looks like we're getting pummeled. That Jesus is present. He's been pulling back the curtain to show us that he's there. He's been pulling back the curtain to show us what's really going on. Sort of behind the scenes or from the view of God. From the perspective of the throne room. Been showing us what's really happening. In spite of what our eyes often can see. What's really going on. And through those visions of seeing himself. Seeing what's really going on. He's been inspiring us. I'm going to fix this. Sorry. He's been inspiring us to follow him, to stay faithful, no matter what the cost. Uh, one of the ways he's done that throughout, all throughout the Revelation is that Jesus has been giving us these big visions of, of what's coming or what will be or a vision of, of, of how we will be or what the world will be like when, when things are right again. He's been giving us these visions. Why? Because in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of our own lives, he, he pulls back the curtain to show us where it's all going so that we can take heart, so that we can have hope, so we can be courageous when it looks like we're not going to get out of this alive. Well, to finish this apocalypse, Jesus gives us one last epic vision, a vision of God's world when evil has been defeated and everything has been restored. The vision of everything made new is something that we can hold on to when, when life is tough. When it looks like everything's degenerating. When, when, when following Jesus brings difficulty and trouble into our lives, which we've talked about a lot. And when you stand up to follow Jesus, it often will create more problems in your life, not less. And you can wonder as you get into that path, what have I done? This vision helps us when it feels like it would be easier to just give up. It helps us hold on. But it also shows us what really matters. It shows us what God is actually up to, what the, the goal is for our lives and for our world. And it helps us then to reach toward that. This vision that Jesus gives us of the future gives insight into our lives today of how we should live, what we should do. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you enjoy, enjoy kaleidoscopes? Maybe you had a toy when you were a kid. And it was just some beads from grandma that got mixed into some. But, you know, and then some of you maybe have seen some really fancy ones. They're incredible, aren't they? And they're Sir uh, David Brewster, he was a Scottish inventor. He dreamed up the name Kaleidoscope for his own invention, something he made in uh, around 1817. The, the name Kaleidoscope itself is kind of, if I can say it, kaleidoscopic because it's three different ancient Greek words that have been smashed together. The word kalos for, for beautiful, 
the word eidos, which means to see a form, to see something, and then uh, scopeo, scope, where we get the word scope from, which just means to, to, um, to examine, to, to look into. So if you put them all together, and then you add a few mirrors, you've got kaleidoscope, which means just the observation of beautiful forms. A kaleidoscope is created uh, when you equip a tube with mirrors, uh, sometimes different numbers of mirrors, and then you fill it with a variety of beautiful uh, translucent objects, maybe beads, maybe glass, different colors. And when the light shines into the end, you're able to see amazing symmetrical displays of beauty as you slowly turn the tube. Great, isn't it? Well, Revelation as a whole, I could say, is kind of like a kaleidoscope, where multiple images and colors and symbols and visions all kind of tumble through again and again, giving us an intense display of God's kingdom in this world, illuminated by the light of Jesus Christ himself. In Revelation 21:22, as we finish, is all about God's promise to renew all. And I think it's even more kaleidoscopic than ever. Right at the very start, verse 5, you heard it when Amanda read it, we hear God's commitment, I am making everything new. And throughout the vision, we see aspects of this promise to renew all, tumbled together, coming around again and again, each one depicting God's renewal and his restoration of all things. Now, if some of you, some of you have been traveling with Revelation all of these long eight months, and some of you are maybe, I, I'm sorry if this is the first one you're catching, uh, but <laughs> oh, maybe you aren't. But uh, back at the last Sunday of Advent, the, the, the Sunday right before Christmas, we actually pushed fast forward, and looked at these two chapters already once. And so uh, we looked at, you know, Advent is kind of all about waiting for Jesus. And so we asked the question on the fourth Sunday of Advent, what are we waiting for? And we looked at seven things that come out of these couple chapters that we are waiting for. And I'm not going to give you any of them this morning because you can go back and listen to that if you'd like uh, an extra sermon on Revelation, or particularly on on these chapters. But as you heard this vision, uh, as you hear this vision read today, I want to invite you to listen to all the ways God's promise of renewal is pictured. And I'll even leave the kaleidoscope playing on the screen at at the risk of you not hearing anything I read because you've somehow been drawn into a hypnotic trance by the kaleidoscope. Here we go. I'm going to read Revelation 21 right from the start, and then I'm just reading to verse 5 in chapter 22. Here it is. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things 
has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they'll be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came to me, said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and as high as it is long. He measured its wall and it was 144 cubits thick by human measurement, which the angel was using. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun, or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light. And they will reign forever and ever. Here God's 
promise of renewal in there. Look, I am making everything new. It's an incredible promise because we live in a world where things don't look like they're getting newer. We live in a world that's racked by pain, racked by evil, broken. Whether you look at a global nation level or whether you narrow right down to individual lives and individual families, creation continues to groan. And the life of so, so many people seems so, so difficult. And yet, God pulls back the curtain and gives us a promise that beyond the pain, beyond the heartache, beyond the difficulty that we so often face, He is going to bring about total and complete renewal. This is His promise. I'm making everything new. Everything. Not just some things. Not a few things. Not just some favorites that He decided to pick out and save. But everything new. And as you heard the vision, did you notice the, the kaleidoscope of images that were sort of tumbling around and around? There's a lot of different images used, and they're sort of layered upon each other. But when you take all the things that Jesus makes new, whether they're refracted in different ways and tumbled around the light of revelation, you see everything made new kind of gathers naturally into three broad areas. When you roll up Revelation 21-22 into a kaleidoscope, this is what you see. On your inserts, I have put this in there as well. First, we see a renewed creation. It's pictured all over. We, we immediately hear the words of the promise from the prophet Isaiah that there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. We see that this is being fulfilled. But all the way through, we see it depicted. that The revelation, along with other scriptures, doesn't point us away somewhere to a far-off, never-never land, but rather... Like the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the scriptures point us toward, you could say, the resurrection of creation. doesn't use that language. It's the renewal. God making things right again. God restoring what has been lost, what has been broken. In Romans chapter 8, a letter that Paul wrote, we're told that all of creation is groaning and it's waiting for its redemption. It's waiting for things to be right again. We're told that the renewal of creation is somehow connected to our renewal, to human renewal, human resurrection. What we see in this final image in Revelation is that God is making good on His promise that's been all through the Scripture to renew heaven and earth. And we see the renewal here depicted as though, as though the Garden of Eden, is, which is you know, way back in, in Genesis, it's as though it now is even better here in this heavenly city that is shown to us. Of course, these are metaphors. The city itself is a representation of God's perfect people. But it all points and hints and suggests that God is committed to a total and complete renewal of His earth. Creation will no longer groan under the weight of human sin and greed. Animals will no longer suffer at the loss of habitat or human ignorance. That Earth will no longer be frustrated in its efforts to produce, that all of God's creation will be set free to be all that God had intended it to be, to bring glory and praise to its creator. The curse will be gone. The trees will become true healers, not just to our bodies, which, of course, the plants are healers of our bodies, but somehow a full healing, even reaching to the souls of the nations themselves. There's no more weeds, there's no more suffering that animals, land, humans, somehow creation has been restored. The world has been made well. It's been healed because God says, I'm making 
everything new. The second area we see renewal is in our relationship with God. Something that takes place within renewed creation. There's a terrific amount of, uh, of imagery that's used in the Revelation, in this final vision, about this renewed relationship with God. God's people are, are imagined as a beautiful bride, waiting for her husband Jesus, uh, as a holy city descending from heaven to earth, as well as a holy temple where God dwells on the earth forever. Bride, city, temple, and then just to me- keep it confusing, <laughs> or kaleidoscopic, the, 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 the city is the bride, and, and all the, these things get all jumbled together. We're also described as members of God's family, with God as our Father, who wipes away our tears and heals everything that's been broken. Everything gets set right, and there's a level of intimacy and wholeness and relationship that's never been experienced before. It's been hinted at. We experience real connection with God now, but somehow it's come fully true, and it goes on forever and ever. I'm making everything new. The third area of renewal is in our relationships with each other. That as we are renewed in our relationship with God, and as we live within this renewed creation, our relationships with each other are also renewed. This is hinted at throughout this vision. As people who have become God's dwelling place, we see this all through Scripture, that as we're renewed in our relationship with God, we are now included in God's family, and somehow you and I... (laughs) And this is still a process we're working on. But somehow, you and I are now brought into a relationship where we can love one another truly. Where we can be reconciled when there's been brokenness. And here in this vision, we find ourselves now in a world where our relationships with each other have been totally transformed. Most of us would admit that the pain and suffering we've experienced in our lives have something to do with our relationships with other people. Most of us, if we were were to talk about what has happened in my life, the deepest hurt or the deepest wounds that I carry, it's very likely to do with something that someone else has done to you, has not done to you, someone who loved you, who betrayed you, someone who should have cared for you, who didn't. I mean, we can maybe think of people who have set out to be our enemies. That can be true. But most of us, it's going to be at that deep level where we should have been loved and we weren't. We thought we were loved and then we were rejected. And what we see here is a time depicted where all suffering is gone, where the tears have been dried up, where relationships are whole and healthy, where there is no more crying. As we've been included in God's family, where our relationships with each other are renewed. All the city imagery that you can kind of easily get lost in with all the gemstones and the gates and what is going on with that, it's all designed, all of it, from the from the 12,000 stadia and the 144 cubits and all that stuff, it's all designed to symbolize a perfect, holy, beautiful people. This is not only true in our closest relationships, it's also true and pictured here globally, where nations are now honoring God with all their cultural goodness. And that may not jump out to us immediately, but that word that's used here through the rest of Revelation is consistently negative. That the nations are depicted as those who go up and reject God. Who put all the resources into, into fighting God's people and fighting the Lamb. And yet here they are, renewed. Here they are, bringing their beauty and diversity and goodness into this holy city. So relationships from a personal to a global level are pictured as healed and renewed and restored here in this final picture. There's not an area 
This is what this tells us. There's not an area that God's renewal doesn't touch. Everything is made new. All is restored. It's an incredible image. It's very motivating. God has promised to bring all of creation back to life. And anyone who's willing to be part of that is brought into it. This is the vision that he uses to finish the revelation, but it's also, as our books line up in the traditional order of books in the Bible, it's also the last thing that's said in the whole scriptural story. It's It's the whole thing that God is doing. It's the last word in scripture, and it sets a vision about where God is taking us, the trajectory of our lives, the trajectory of God's creation, the point and the goal of history. And knowing that gives us purpose today in how we live, how we serve. So how do we respond to that? What do we do with this? Not, not just this ending vision, but maybe the whole of Revelation, or maybe the whole of Scripture. Well, God's promise of renewal here, like all the visions in the Revelation, were designed to inspire faithfulness for today. We've talked about that. They weren't really designed to, to um, answer a few curious questions. They weren't really designed to just, you know, for us to just debate about and talk about. It's designed to inspire us to live faithfully today. And so the whole of Revelation wraps up with an epilogue that gives some finishing challenges for us. For the readers, the hearers, the original ones, as well as us today. So let me read that for you. It's the the last few verses of of chapter 22. I'll start with verse 6 through 21. And we'll hear some of these finishing challenges and how we respond to this revelation. Here it is. 22 verse 6. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord... The God who inspires the prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Look, I'm coming soon. Blessed are those who keep the words of the prophecy on this scroll. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who'd been showing them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of this scroll. Worship God. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll because the time is near. Let those who do wrong continue to do wrong. Let those who are vile continue to be vile. Let those who do right continue to do right. Let those who are holy continue to be holy. Look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to everyone according to what they have done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let those who hear say, come. Let those who are thirsty come and let all who wish take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy, the prophecy of this scroll, if any of you adds anything to them, 
God will add to you the plagues described in this scroll. And if any of you takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from you your share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this scroll. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. When I hear these finishing words, I think there's at least five key reminders, five key challenges that were given. And I gathered them around five words. And just to be the real preacher today, they're all starting with the word W. There's five of them, but, you know, W. So they're on the back of the insert. If you want to fill them out, I even left you a blank. The first thing we need to remember as we finish the Revelation, as we take all this in, as we realize that we've seen that Jesus is present and we hear God's promise to bring renewal, the very first thing we need to remember is that God's word is trustworthy. The angel says to John, these words are trustworthy. And true. We can trust what God has said. And I think this is where it starts for us because there are so many times where the curtain is down, as it were. And we're in our daily lives and we are slaving away and we're trying to stay faithful and we're trying to figure out what it means to love this person, to be faithful to Jesus in this circumstance. We're wondering if, if we follow Jesus this direction, what will happen? What kind of difficulty will come? Will I be rejected? Will I be secure? All these questions swirl around. And what we have to remember is that God's promise that he has given to us again and again and again as we've traveled through this revelation, his promise that he's got us and he's going to bring us through, his promise that no matter what happens, he's going to win, those promises that just pile up and pile up and pile up, they're true. They're trustworthy. He is going to bring us through. He is going to restore everything. We can hold on to that like an anchor, especially in those times when things are dark, when things are difficult, when we aren't sure if it really is going to turn out all right. We need to remind ourselves at that point, I'm trusting God's word and it is trustworthy. I can hold on to that. It's the first thing we need to know that in order to finish well, finish the revelation well, but to finish our lives well, to continue to focus and follow Jesus, we need to remember that his word is trustworthy. Number two, we need to keep faithfully witnessing to Jesus. You can't wrap up revelation without the reminder. This has been a constant theme throughout. That they overcame through the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony because they didn't love their lives unto death. Remember, that's the central verse in Revelation 12 of the whole of Revelation. Everything comes down to faithful witness, to living a life where our lives, our priorities, our plans, our words, our actions, the way we raise our kids, the way we interact at work, the way we do our studies, the way we talk to our friends at school, all of it is meant to point people to Jesus. To say, my life, my words, though not perfect, are designed to help people see Jesus and to follow him. This is what Jesus means when he says, blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in the scroll. Keeping the words of this prophecy is not about understanding a certain view of the end times. It's about following Jesus faithfully. It's about living a life where we point others to him, where we realize Having seen 
Jesus as he pulls back the curtain, having had an apocalypse, as it were, we understand that all that truly matters in life is that people follow Jesus and experience his transformation in their lives. And if that's what really, truly matters, if that's what really makes the difference in people's lives today and represents where he's taking them in the future, then I want everything in my life to be a witness to Jesus. Everything. We need to keep faithfully witnessing to Jesus. The third reminder that we're given is that who we worship matters. John here, he's already done this before. He falls down at the feet of the angel and the angel's like, don't do that. Worship God. And who we worship is a constant theme throughout Revelation. All the imagery that's been used of this beast and these, these prophets and, and everything that surrounds all that and, and even the other times that we're, we're challenged about who we're worshiping, all of it was meant to set out this question. Who will you worship? It is not a question of if you understand. The question of our lives is not Will you worship? The question is, who will you worship? Because we all will worship something. We all will worship someone. We will all orient our lives and follow after something. It could be money. It could be power. It could be uh, relationships and trying to fill the void. It could be a certain philosophy or ideology. It could just be that you've decided you're the one you're going to worship. But all of us will worship. And through the revelation, it's put very starkly to us who you're going to worship. And who we worship really matters. This is why we gather, as as, as Christians, we gather regularly, not because this is the only place where worship happens. But there's something powerful about gathering as God's people and being reminded that who we worship matters. Because throughout the week... Throughout the months of our lives, there are so many things demanding our attention. There are so many things that want you to worship it, or worship them, or just at least stop worshiping Jesus all the time. There's so many things that pull our attention and our hearts and our minds. And so gathering together on a regular basis to be reminded that we are, first and foremost, worshipers means that when we go out into our workplace, when we go back into our family life, when we're interacting with people throughout the week, when we're setting up our schedules, when we're setting up our budgets, when we're deciding what we're going to follow after and what we're going to do, where we're going to place our energy, we're reminded first and foremost that we are worshipers and how we live comes out of who we worship. Everything hangs on that. And here at the end of Revelation, we're reminded that who we worship really matters. The fourth reminder is a warning. Hearers take warning. And we're given this, this kind of strange warning, to be honest with you, where everyone's told that if you add, God's going to add plagues. If you take away, God's going to take away your access, as it were. And the warning's very strong, and it's intended to actually take this vision of Revelation and elevate it, to amp up its intensity, to remind people to take this seriously. Again, taking it seriously does not mean color-coding a chart. Although it could mean that if it led you somewhere, but that's not the point. Taking it seriously means, are you going to follow the Lamb? Are you going to do what this revelation is calling us to do? Are you going to worship Jesus and Jesus only? And this warning is given 
to remind all of us as we finish who have heard this revelation, maybe only snippets of it, maybe only bits here and there, but to hear all of us and be reminded for all of us who hear it, this is serious business. But we don't just slough it off. And if you've been around the church for a while, you know that this has been scary and, and revelation has been scary. But what it's saying to us is that we need to take this revelation of Jesus to us where he has shown us that he is present. He has shown us who we are and what it means to follow him to take it seriously. To take it to heart. The fifth reminder here at the end is to actively wait for Jesus. The book of Revelation begins with the promise, I am coming. And now at the end, it highlights it multiple times in multiple different ways. Look, I'm coming soon. And it's Jesus here who's talking, the Alpha and the Omega. And, and Jesus says, um, I'm coming soon. And, and the Spirit and the Bride, that's God's Spirit and us, say come. And, and those who hear say come. And there's this invitation being given. Waiting for Jesus to come is not about sitting around passively, you know, humming or something. It's not about getting into a, a, a holy huddle that would sort of keep us secure and, and, and keep us safe and, and keep us out of harm's way. Waiting for Jesus throughout the Revelation, throughout Scripture, is about doing the work of Jesus with hope. It means being active in what He has called us to do and to be. It's looking for Jesus to come and make all the difference in the world. Yes, we look for Jesus to come in the future. And this vision that's so clearly and beautifully depicted creates this, this, this image of the future that we look forward to and we, we, we long to see everything made right. But we also look for Jesus coming now. For Jesus to come into people's lives. For Jesus to come into broken situations and make them new again. You see, somewhere else in the Bible, a letter that Paul wrote. He said that if anyone is in Christ, if anyone has gotten into this relationship with Jesus, then what did he say? They are new creations. The old is gone. The new has come. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? And what it reminds us is that though there is this full picture being given where everything is fully renewed, God has brought bits and pieces of that by the Holy Spirit into today. So that we begin to experience his new creation work today. So that as Jesus comes into families, as he comes into our lives, as he comes into our minds and our hearts, we begin to experience his new creation life in us. We are new creations. We've talked about it before. It's like a little piece of heaven gets brought back into the present. And we begin to live as though the future is already true. In other words, we begin to engage in our relationships as though God actually wants us to have renewed relationships with each other. We begin to care for creation as though God has already renewed it. We, we enact the renewed creation in the way that we care for the world, the earth, animals. We begin to explore what it means to be a renewed relationship with God, knowing that, yes, it's going to be better than we ever could imagine, but even now, the Holy Spirit is coming so we can experience an actual, real relationship with God that is growing and is dynamic and is real. The future comes into the now. Jesus making us his new creation. And this is what it means for us to both look for Jesus coming and to also experience his coming even now as we actively wait for him to make everything new. So there it is. Trusting in God's word, we keep faithfully witnessing to Jesus. 
We worship God as the one true king over the world, regardless of the pressures to compromise. We take his warning seriously, and we actively wait for Jesus to come and make everything new, just as he said he would. That's the revelation. That's how the story wraps up. And that's the promise that we hold on to. He is committed to making everything new. You know, here at the end, I just want to thank you for being the kind of people who would actually stick with an eight-month series in Revelation. I had more than a few of you say, Tom, I thought you were making a mistake. I had a few say, I was really afraid. I was really nervous. I was scared. Because that's been the experience of many in Revelation. I just want to tell you how thankful I am for a community that's willing to travel through some tough stuff. At the Erickson County Church, we are committed to God's word. We're committed to walking through it. And you know, it's no surprise to you to realize that there were some passages in this that I didn't want to preach through either, you understand. But somehow as a community traveling through this together, I hope and pray it's been transformative for you. As much as it's been transformative for me. This revelation of Jesus having him pull back the curtain to show us who he really is and who we really are and how we can continue to be faithful today is something that he wants to continue doing to us wherever we read the scripture, whatever we're doing, to remind us that he is present and he is here. So I want to thank you for taking this journey with us. If you missed a whole bunch of the revelation, it's all online. It's all there to be heard. And so I know that some of you have been... uh, enjoying them that way. And uh, others of you have picked up on messages you've missed. But if you've come here today and maybe this is, you know, this is like the last one of eight months and you think, I'd like to explore this some more. It's all available online and I encourage you just to go there and check that out. Jesus is among us, revealing himself to us because he wants us to know him and he wants us to experience his goodness in our lives. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so thankful that you have called us to follow you, that you pull back the curtain. You show us who you are. And for these reminders today that you are making everything new and will bring your world, your people, your creation to complete and total renewal gives us courage today. I pray that each one of us in whatever situation we're in, whatever struggle we might be facing, we'd be reminded of this today. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you today as you, as you go. Uh, please stay for coffee. And uh, we just enjoy.